Well, good morning. Uh, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, I think it's on maybe page 754 in the Bible on the seat back in front of you. It is the last book in the Old Testament right before you go into the New Testament. So today we are going to continue to trace the theme of light across Scripture. And particularly today, we're going to look at it from the Old Testament to the New Testament, where it's going to reach its culmination. So we're going to be in several different passages, lots of scriptures, so I will not promise you 20 minutes like Eric did last week. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the first connection is this. The light is promised. The light is promised. Last week, Pastor Eric ended with Numbers 24:17. Numbers 24:17 says this: I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. A promised one is coming. The serpent, the serpent crusher from Genesis chapter 3. Here in Numbers 24, he's called a scepter, a, a king, a star. Isaiah 60 from last week, he's the light. But who exactly is this light? See, across the Old Testament, we repeatedly see who isn't the light. It's not Moses. There's someone better coming. It's not Samson. Uh, this week I was in Judges in my quiet time. It is definitely not Samson. <laughs> it sounds a lot like David, but, but it's not him either. There's a better one coming. It's not Solomon. It's not. It's not. It's not. Then who is it and when will he come? That brings us here to Malachi chapter 3. A little background on Malachi that I think is important as we as we look at this passage. Um, Israel is about 100 years removed from the Babylonian captivity here. So they, re they returned from captivity expecting God's promises to be fulfilled. They returned expecting that the star would rise out of Israel once and for all and that the Messiah would set up his kingdom. But instead, they find that sin and corruption and injustice and idolatry and darkness continues. It continues in the nations around them and it continues in them. And they are frustrated and they have some complaints for God. And they express them in Malachi. A few of those are, he doesn't love us. Where is justice? What's the point of even serving him? And God confronts his people and he, he warns them. This is kind of like a defining the relationship type moment between God and his people. He's like, this is who I am. This is who you are. Let's remember that. But even in the midst of those warnings, he graciously still promises them future deliverance and a coming light. Look at Malachi. Three, verse 1. Pay attention to the pronouns here in this verse. And behold, I send my messenger, 
and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the new covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. The complaint here by God's people is really at the end of chapter 2. And it says, where is the God of justice? Where is he? And the Lord's response to Israel is this. A messenger is coming who's going to prepare the way for who? For the Lord. And this messenger, it's, it's not the Lord, but he will help to prepare the people for the coming of the messenger of the new covenant. The light is promised. Turn over one page, Malachi chapter 4. Let's look at this last chapter in the Old Testament. Verse 1 says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch, verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. I love this, the complaint in chapter 3 by God's people here. Israel says, is it, is it worth it to serve the Lord? Because evil doers seem to prosper and just get away with it. Is this pointless to serve him? And the Lord's answer here in chapter 4 is, a day is coming. A day is coming when the sun of righteousness will rise. And when he comes, he will make all things right. I love the, the sun of righteousness here. It's, it's this beautiful description of the Messiah's glory literally driving back evil. The arrival of the light will mean judgment for those who do not fear his name. This passage calls them the evildoers and the arrogant. But for those of us that fear his name, his arrival will mean healing and freedom and joy and celebration. Right there, it describes it. I love this description that we're not typically used to, but it says, you shall go out leaping like calves that have broken out of the stalls with joy and in freedom. The light is coming. Look down verse four there in the last few verses of the Old Testament. It says this, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded them at Horeb before all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah, chapter three, the messenger, the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts, a ministry of repentance, he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. I love this. The Lord's like, listen, the light is coming. I promise. And until the day of his, his arrival, do this. Remember the law and watch for Elijah. In other words, until the light arrives, continue to trust 
continue to obey. Continue to look for the coming sun of righteousness. The light is promised. The next connection, the darkness continues. The darkness continues. Most of you in your Bible now, on the next page, it's going to be this blank page. It might say the New Testament on there, but it's otherwise blank. If you don't have a blank page, then you've just got Malachi to Matthew. So just leave it right there and sit in that gap. This blank page in your Bible represents 400 years. We call it the intertestamental period, the time between the giving of the Old Testament and the New Testament. During this 400 years, there is no canonical word from the Lord. There's silence. The promises unfulfilled, lingering as the darkness continues. Try to wrap your head around just how long that is. Okay, so for us, that means at least going back 1600. Think of all the things we enjoy and take for granted now that weren't even in existence then. So no, no automobile, no train travel, no air travel. So I have no idea how you're going to get to the four Christmases you got to do this this week. None of that even existed yet. No iPhone. That might be kind of nice. But no telephone at all. No television. You probably could enjoy coffee then, but not your frappuccino. Speaking of which, okay, total side note. I was in Starbucks the other day at 6 a.m. getting my black coffee, how it's meant to be drank. <laughs> and I was amazed at the quantity of frappuccinos that are going out at 6 o'clock in the morning. All right, listen, it's a chocolate shake for breakfast. I mean, no judgment, no judgment, do what you gotta do, but I am worried about your health. Like, it was incredible. That had nothing to do with anything. It's Christmas, uh, so candy canes, didn't have them, came around about 1670. No piano, no United States of America. I mean, think of that amount of time. Now imagine, imagine God's people during that time. During those 400 years, Israel would be ruled by the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. They would have felt powerless and marginalized, oppressed, forgotten, all while trying to cling to the promises of the coming Son of Righteousness. Uh, last week, Pastor Eric talked about the the lights that we turn on every year in downtown Danville and how light attracts. And for some reason, it all brings us out there. Uh, my family has lived in Danville for about 15 years. And the, the lighting of the downtown lights is one of our favorite times. Love it. Right now, every time that we come back into town after dark, Amy's like, oh, it's just so magical. I love it. Avon doesn't have lights. <laughs> Danville has such wonderful lights. I mean, this is it. Other than Mayberry days, this is all that we have. So it's a, it's a big deal for us. And this year, we were out there. We were all huddled together. We were watching. The countdown happens. Somebody flips the switch somewhere. All the lights in downtown turn on except the tree. 
the tree stays dark. And so we're all standing there. We're like, time starts to pass. We're wondering what's going on. I lean over to Amy. I'm like, are the lights supposed to turn on? She's like, I think so. I'm like, when are they going to turn on? She's like, I don't know. Like, I'm not the one flipping the switch. Like, what's going to happen? And so we're like, do we leave? Do we stay? Are they turning on? Is this their message? Are they trying to tell us we're never turning these lights on again? This is all you get. And everybody's just standing there frozen for what seems like an eternity, but it was probably just for a few minutes, anticipating. And I know it's such a silly thing, but magnify this out. 400 years. Like, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. Okay, we're ready. Months pass. Years pass. Decades pass. Generations come and go. Probably five or six. That's like great, 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 great grandparents. Silence. When? But then, the first glow of dawn appears. Turn over in your Bible, two books to the right, to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. The next connection is this. It's the preparation for the light. The preparation for the light. I want us to look in Luke 1 here, starting in verse 5, at the coming of John the Baptist. Luke 1.5 says this, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. That is really cool. You want to know why? At the end of Malachi chapter 4, what does the Lord tell his people to do? Until the Son of Righteousness comes... Trust and obey. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they've been doing that. Verse 7, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. This is really cool because this would have happened once in a lifetime. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Zechariah. Verse 10. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of the incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel of the Lord said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. Now, this is really interesting because we always just assume the prayer that's answered is Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayer for a son. And yes, surely they were praying that they would be able to have a child. But remember, this specific moment right here, Zechariah is before the Lord, offering up incense and prayers to the Lord on behalf of the people. And we know from the Old Testament that one of the prayers that he would have been praying would have been for the salvation of Israel. 
for their deliverance. And so keep that in mind as we go, as we go through here. Verse 15. Oh, verse 14. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Verse 16. Now watch this. This should sound familiar. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. That's Malachi 3 and 4. God picks up here with his word through Gabriel right where he left off 400 years earlier in Malachi. Through all of this, through the seemingly darkness of this 400 years, God has been working, setting the stage for the perfect timing of the arrival of the Messiah. Listen, no matter how dark it may seem, no matter how long it's been, no matter how hard it might be, God is in control. He reigns. He's faithful to his promises. And he is working, even through the darkest time, ultimately for his glory and for our good. Verse 18 through verses 23 here. Here's what happens. I'll give you a snapshot of it. Zechariah asked for a sign. He doesn't believe. And so Gabriel tells him, listen, now, since you didn't believe, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be silent until all of this is fulfilled. Turn over another page. Turn over to Luke 1, verse 57. Verse 57 through 66. Here's what happens. John the Baptist is, is born. Right? The promise happens. What was predicted by Gabriel to Zechariah happens. John is born. And when John's born, Zechariah is allowed by the Lord to speak again. Down in verse 67, where we're going, these are the first words that Zechariah says after he's allowed to speak, after the birth of John the Baptist. Let's look at him. Verse 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied, saying, now, now watch this. In this prophecy, what we're going to see here, we're going to see him praising the Lord for this. Not specifically for the fact that Elizabeth and Zechariah have had a child, although that is praiseworthy. What we're going to see him praising here is that the promises are coming true. The promises are being fulfilled. Light is dawning. Look at verse 68. Blessed be the Lord the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David, as he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets from of old, 
that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. Verse 73, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us so that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Verse 76, and you, child, John the Baptist, you will be called the prophet of the most high God, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. That should sound like Malachi chapter three. To do what? To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of sins. That's awesome because this is not just a, a physical deliverance here, it's a spiritual deliverance. Verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God, here we go, Malachi 4, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. To do what? To give light, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. You can hear the joy in Zechariah's voice coming out even through this text. And it's fabulous. I won't leave you hanging, going back to the Danville tree lighting. So we're there, the lights are out. We're whispering, what's gonna happen? What are we gonna do? And it just, it just keeps going. Was anyone there, by the way? Was anyone at the thing? Oh, yeah, we had some. Awesome. So I, I don't know how long it was. It might have been 30 seconds. It felt like minutes. But either way, all of a sudden, when the lights turned on, the crowd just burst into cheering. You'd think like the greatest thing ever happened. And that was after, what, like a minute of tense anticipation? Now imagine Zechariah, 400 years, thousands of years since Genesis 3. This promise passed down through the generations. Zechariah and Elizabeth trusting and obeying, trusting and obeying, trusting and obeying. And then... The son of righteousness is coming, bringing forgiveness of sins and hope and salvation and mercy and ultimately peace with God. No wonder he's excited. Next connection. The promised light is Jesus. The promised light is Jesus. Uh, John the Baptist is a prophet. One like Elijah who's preparing the way for and pointing to the light. But a question remains unanswered. Who is this sunrise? Who is this son of righteousness? Who's John preparing for? Well, most of us know it's Jesus, right? Sunday school answer, Jesus. But where do we see that here in God's word? Well, right here in this immediate context, Luke 1, verse 39 through 43 there, you see this really amazing account of Elizabeth who's caught John the Baptist in her womb and she greets Mary and when she does, John the Baptist actually leaps for joy in the womb. Like his prophetic ministry pointing to who is the light, it starts before he's even born. That's incredible. John, as an adult, bears witness to who the light is. How does he do that? He actually physically points at Jesus at his baptism and he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
Turn over, last passage, I promise. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We have to go here to see this. And let's see from one more place exactly who the promised light is. John 1, verse 1 says this. In the beginning was the Word. That should sound a lot like what Pastor Chris read a few weeks ago. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Okay, who's, who's the Word? Look down to verse 14. The Word became flesh. Okay. The Word became human and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 15, John, John the Baptist, bore witness about him, the light. And he cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Verse 17, we're narrowing in more. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, but he, he has made him known. That's who the promised light is. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is God, not a God, God the eternal Son of God, one with the Father and the Spirit. And what's it mean that He's the Word? Well, it means that He perfectly reveals and expresses to mankind the truth, the grace of exactly who God is. Jesus is the promised light. And not only that, last connection, the light is life. The light is, is life. Look again there at John, at those first verses in the first chapter. In the beginning was the Word. Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He, Jesus, is the one that spoke physical light into existence at creation and brought forth life. But not only that, according to this passage, according to the prophecy of Zechariah, he brings spiritual light and life. Amen. Why is that good news? That's good news for this reason. We were all born in darkness. We are sinners by nature. Thanks a lot, Adam and Eve. But we are also sinners by choice. We choose to rebel against God. And because of our darkness, because of our sin, we, we deserve only the just wrath of God. But we don't have to 
stay in darkness. There is a light that brings life, and his name is Jesus. And next week, Pastor Doug is going to go to the incarnation. He's going to go to Jesus' birth. And so I think this week it's important for us to remember and to keep in perspective exactly why Jesus came. John 3.16. God loved the world in this way. He gave. He sent his only son so that whoever believes in him, they should not perish, but what will they receive? Eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The son of righteousness came for this reason. He came to live the perfect life that we are incapable of living. The Son of Righteousness came to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. The Son of Righteousness came to satisfy the just wrath of God in our place. The Son of Righteousness came to rise from the dead in victory over death and over darkness. That's why the Son of Righteousness came. That's why we celebrate Christmas. That's why the baby in the manger has so much meaning. Jesus is the promised light that brings life to all who will receive him by faith. Verse 12 in John 1. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you received this new life in Jesus? Today, the darkness of your heart can be driven back by the light of the good news about Jesus Christ. Today could be your day of salvation. Will you trust him?